Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. I think back on my career, which is a 13-year entrepreneurial career. Uh, I'm not talking about the architecture career right before that, just my entrepreneurial career. I think about a lot of the pivotal moments that have happened across the way. I mean, immediate ones that come to mind are when Matt and I started working together. He's now my co-CEO, has been very influential on how the business has been going since, and uh, I couldn't thank him enough, right? There have been people that I've connected with in my mastermind groups who have provided everything from the name of my books in certain brainstorming sessions to a shoulder to cry on at times. But when I think about some of the most important skills that I've learned to get here, one important skill is storytelling. And storytelling wasn't always something that I was very good at. In fact, I wasn't great at it at all. And it wasn't until I started, number one, posting content and learning about well, stories engage, stories keep people on a page or on a video or, of course, on a podcast like this one. But it's a skill that can be learned. And when I started speaking, that's when I really honed in on that skill. And there's no other person I can thank for this than Mike Pacione, who was my speaking coach back in 2012. I started speaking in 2011, got really hooked on it. And like everything I do, I go and find somebody who is an expert at it to help me get better faster, to help me minimize the amount of mistakes I'm gonna make. Not remove them entirely because I need to make mistakes to grow, but to minimize them and also to guide me. And Mike Pacione is our special guest today because we are going to the depths of storytelling. And we're gonna tell lots of stories today and break down how stories should be told because story is, like I said, what engages an audience. It's what brings emotion to the points that you're making. It is what helps transport a person from, hmm, I wonder if this is something I should keep watching or listening to or reading to, whoa, what happens next, right? This is what brings connection, and connection is key, and storytelling is the key holder or the key bearer. I don't know what the analogy is, but story is important. We're gonna talk about it today with my former speaking coach, Mike Pacquiao. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he once broke his arm trying to impress a girl back in first grade, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Pathlin here, and welcome to session 519 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Whether you're a podcaster, a YouTuber, or you're writing, maybe books, maybe on a blog, even social media, you gotta know how to tell story. The better your story, the more likely it is you are to connect, the more likely it is those stories are to be shared, and here's the kicker, the more likely you are to be remembered. 
So here he is, Mike Pacione, who is going to help us learn exactly how to do that. Mike from miketalks.co. Here he is. Mike, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Pat, it is finally happening. I'm so excited, man. I mean, a full episode for you, because you've been here once before in a little clip in an episode where we talked about what it was like to have a kid and be an entrepreneur, and you provided some really helpful insight on that. We'll link to it in the show notes. But here we are, full episode. Welcome. I'm really excited for today. And and I have to also thank you publicly, because if people don't know this already, you helped me tremendously back in 2012, 2013, when I was learning how to speak on stage. You were my public speaking coach. So thank you for that. It changed my life. Oh, man. Well, it changed my life too, Pat. And that was that's still one of my... What year was that? 2012, did you say? Yeah, 2012, 2013, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's still one of my very favorite projects. I accidentally... I don't remember why this happened, but I accidentally... Because we, we used to record those calls. And I accidentally like stumbled upon that recently. I was just listening to it. One thing that you taught me was the importance of telling stories. And I've carried that over into my work on YouTube, into the podcast, of course. And I wanted to bring you on today to go deep into storytelling and how we can tell better stories and such. But before that, just real quick, like, how is the family doing? I know you have a kid and made some major life changes since you and I started working together. You used to work for Nancy Duarte, author of Resonant and Slideology, I think. Yeah, Slideology. She is amazing. And and you've since branched off to do things on your own. How's that been? Man, it is. I mean, there's a lot right now. We just... I'm talking five days ago, moved from Portland, the Oregon version of Portland to outside of Philadelphia, or I guess we're moving to Philadelphia. My son is two. He is so great right now. It's interesting. You and I started working together. I was single, wasn't even dating anybody and, you know, get to the other end of that. It's like I moved to Portland. I always tell people I moved to Portland in a sedan, having crammed in as many clothes as I could. And I had like a big TV. TVs in 2005 were like, you know, they had the big, (laughs) they had a big back to them. That's all that I had. I moved back the other way with a dog, a wife, a child, two of those giant pod things and a giant SUV. But it's been great. My son is so great right now. I'm basically at the stage where I'm like, oh man, this is... I I just need to seize this. Like, Don't let anything happen to him. He he loves running. He's composing sentences. Uh, He loves taking baths. He loves basketball. Like We watch basketball together. I'm a big Sixers fan. He can say some of the Sixers players. So you'd expect him to say like Joel Embiid, he's the, you know, he's he's the MVP guy on the team. But one day I got my son up from the nap and he, he goes, Cork Maz, like the eighth man on the team. He just, <laughs> that's how he woke up from the nap. I love that. He's showing appreciation to those who don't often get appreciated. And then you'll get him into the Iverson era and some of the history, I'm sure, and down the road. I'm so glad to hear things are well with with the kid and, and your wife and things with the move. I mean, a lot of things happen all the time for everybody, but it's been a crazy time for sure this past year. And we need to catch up. Just you and I need to get together and catch up so we can save the rest of this part of the conversation for later. But I do want to talk about storytelling. Why is storytelling so important? I guess my short answer to that, I think storytelling is the most portable way of communicating a point. If you think about it, think of a a great story that you once heard. You've had so many on your podcast. Like I I just, when I went to FlynnCon, the one that stood out to me that you've referenced several times in your podcast is Shane Sam's telling the lawnmower story. It literally has a name. It's like the lawnmower story. Right. The lawnmower story. Right. The power of that, because it's such a good story and he does a, Almost everything that I train people to do with storytelling, because it's such a good story, other people are able to tell that story for him. 
he doesn't call me every day say like hey mike can you tell my lawnmower story for me but i'm able to do that because it's so clear there's a clear point to it i can picture the whole thing happening that's the essence of story if you do it well it can be passed on from person to person to person i mean honestly if you think about think about a world pre iphone pre ipad pre laptop pre computer pre typewriter pre pencil and paper pre quill and ink it's like where did our history come from? It's from story. Like person A telling a story to person B. It's a lot easier to understand story than it would be to just understand random points. That story is so great. The lawnmower story, for those of you who might not remember, episode 122 of the Smart Passive Income podcast with Shane and Jocelyn. He was telling this story about when he first discovered the Smart Passive Income podcast. And he was sitting in a lawnmower, turned on SPI, and then stopped mid-mo to run to his wife Jocelyn and go, this is how we're going to change our lives. And she's like, you're crazy. You're back crazy right now. And so you could kind of imagine that happening. Of course, he told it with more eloquence, with more detail. I do want to talk about how to provide those kinds of visuals within the spoken word in a minute. The beauty of that is it was the origin of like when he discovered the podcast. And I think a lot of people struggle with well, I don't have a good story to tell. I didn't have a life-changing moment to tell a story about that was like that. Or, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs especially tell stories that are about, you know, the time they got into a car accident and their life flashed before their eyes. And that's a very, oh my gosh, moment. How do we tell stories when we don't have an oh my gosh moment? Can we even? The key is you actually do, but I know that exact feeling. I used to think that motivational speakers were all people who like lost a limb to a shark or something like that, right? It's easy to feel like, oh, I don't have anything. But your story is simply... Okay, so here's the way I explain story to people. There are three acts to it. This is true whether the story is 30 seconds long or it's a two-hour long movie. There are, three, there are three parts to it. So there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. The beginning and the end are actually what you figured out first. It's the beginning, who you are at the beginning, the end, who you are now. There should be some level of transformation if there's no transformation, there's a problem with that. So you need to figure out what the transformation is from beginning to end. But by nature of anything, like there would be a transformation. Sometimes the transformation is, I was a normal guy. I was a, I was a math teacher, science teacher, history, whatever Shane taught. Sometimes that's it's just where you were and where you are now. That's what it always, always is. And I think what's important to remember, because it's it's really easy to get, I, I guess I would call it like origin story jealousy, right? Like it's, it's really easy to be, oh man, I never got fired, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I never slept on my sister's couch. I just was successful on the side. But your starting point is going to be a common starting point for someone out there. And I think that's important to remember. I'm remembering a story that I once told on stage that... I was just going to tell because it was something interesting that happened and it had a little bit of a lesson to it, but I didn't realize that in the way that I structured it, it in fact was a three-part story. It in fact had transformation and it literally had people laughing and crying at the end. And I just was so surprised by that. I think perhaps that came from practice of telling other stories and just kind of now I'm in automation mode with a lot of the stuff after having done it for years. It was a story about, and I may have told this at FlynnCon, but it was a story about my son wanting to play the iPad in the car on our way to lunch, where I was like, no, you can't but maybe you can if you can convince me why. And then we go through this little sort of back and forth. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, play role of Kaoni when I'm telling the story of like, please, like, I just want to play Minecraft and how he first started telling why he wanted to play it, but then transformed to why that would benefit me. 
the parent. And, it, and, and the, the punchline was he said that, well, I, if, if you let me play Minecraft, I can become a better architect and I can teach you how to be a better architect too. Like that had people rolling and applauding. I was like, wow, that's actually really cool. I'm going to tell the story over and over again because that's the other thing that I learned. I learned this from Ramit Sethi. He said, you got to build a story bank, like stories that are crazy origin, like Marvel Universe type stories to little moments like that during the day when your son wants to play the iPad in the car. They can all become things that could be a part of a bank that you could pull from later. And that's been one of the most useful things. So to combine the art of storytelling, which you've taught me, with the just collection of stories that happen, I, I write things down at the end of every day, just little things that were different that made me think those could potentially be then extracted into something that could really make an impact online. The lesson in that story with Kaoni was know who your audience is, <laughs> basically. <laughs> And what you just said there that I guess you're saying what Ramita said, which most things Ramit says are pretty good. The more that you have stories in your back pocket, it, it's the best because what appears to the audience like, wow, Pat really thinks on his feet. It's just like <laughs> Pat had this story in his head from three months ago that his, his computer brain just said, let's dial this up and we're going to pull it out. And I've told the story a bunch of times and I'm totally comfortable with it. I know when you're going to laugh. Boom. Win. Yeah. Oh, man. I've at dinner parties, like I've used the stories that I've told on stage because it just like you said, oh, there's a story that I have that fits in this moment. Let me tell it. And then I tell it and everybody, they're like, wow, you're like the life of the party. And I'm like an introvert. I just happen to have practiced those things. And it, it feels a little bit not manipulative, just like like calculated, which feels weird in a conversation that is supposed to be organic. But Honestly, it's been like really cool. Well, and that's and a lot of people have resistance for that exact reason that you're saying, because it feels to them manipulative is the wrong word. But I know you're saying it feels to them like it's it's not it's not organic. Maybe is the right way of saying that we're trying to entertain the audience. If we're speaking on stage or we're having a video, presumably you want to get your point across. So you want to sell your idea, your product, your course, whatever. A story will help that point land. Like on a really basic level, Pat has an idea in his head that he wants to get out into the mind of his audience. If telling a story of his son doing that helps that point land, that's gold. And that's what you should do. Yeah, people remember the stories. They, like you said earlier, can tell the stories to others versus if I just go, hey, if you want to share a message, like just know who your audience is. Okay, like 50,000 other people teaching entrepreneurship say the exact same thing. Here's my way of making it unique in the way that also is very quote unquote, Pat Flynn, like with bringing the family in and poking fun at myself and those kinds of things. And then over time, there are certain moments that and, and I'd love to talk about this, too. It's like the ethics of storytelling, meaning so that story was true. But there were things in that story when I eventually told it over and over again that I added on to make it even more of a hit. Right. Like there was a moment in the story where which honestly didn't happen. I'm just going to tell all of you, it didn't happen, but it made the story that much more funny. And maybe that was the wrong thing to do. I'm, I'm not like telling lines, but I'm kind of, right? Like, so the, the part in the story that I added in just for fun to see what would happen and I kept it in ever since was a part like after three or four back and forths between me and Keone, I eventually get down on one knee and, and, and I go to him and I look him in the eye and I'm holding my iPad and I said, I want you to sell me this iPad. And he goes, you want me to sell you your own iPad back to you? And then I just get frustrated, right? Like that 
that moment didn't happen, but it kind of sums up how I felt in that moment of just like, you're not getting it right now. Like you, you're not, the words that I'm saying are not getting through to you. What do you thought? What are your thoughts on things like that? Are you asking me if I believe in lying? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Remember, this is recorded for your kids to listen to. This is recorded for your family. <laughs> Dad, remember back in 2021 when you said this? Click. That's why I didn't come home last night. Um, in all seriousness, one of the tips that I've given people... So this is this is specific to the ending, but it really would work where you are too. Okay, so you need to make the story emotionally beneficial to the audience. That's what you're doing with that part. Now, one of my favorite stories I ever heard was a, a pastor named Andy Stanley. He, he tells a story about being a little kid and they had a pet snake. And for some reason, the pet snake gets out. It gets out into the house. And he's like, yeah, we looked for him for 15 minutes and then we couldn't find him. So we all went to bed. And you hear these gasps from the audience. They're like, what? He's like, no, we didn't do that. Of course, we kept looking for him. The lie, I don't know if you call it a lie, but the, the temporary lie is to give the audience the emotional satisfaction that they want in a story. So uh, you, <laughs> you have to decide for yourself how you want to edit that part. But to me, what, like, what you should do in a story is you should give the audience an emotional benefit. And the way that you do it, what you might... If you felt bad about that, like the thing to do would be to say, I didn't do this, but here's what I was thinking to myself. Because it, it, it would probably accomplish the same goal. Or do the thing and then go, well, that didn't actually happen, but that's how I was feeling, right? It's like, like your pastor friend said, okay, that makes sense. So if anybody's ever heard that story, I'm sorry. Everything else is true, though. Everything else. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. There are... So a lot of the stuff that I teach comes from memoir writing, which I've never published a memoir, but... I've written that extensively. Uh, there's a whole debate in the memoir community about editing for memoir, right? Because what some authors will do just for clarity of reading is they will like fuse multiple characters together just so there are less characters in the book. And then other people feel like that's not accurate. So that's a, to me, that's a decision you have to make for yourself. The fish I caught was this big, right? It's like, I mean, that's, that's the classic line of stories and how they get re-embellished and then turned around. Like, it was just a minnow, but now it's a shark, right? After so many people tell it. Anyway, what are some things that people online, especially, are doing incorrectly when it comes to storytelling? This way we can maybe avoid some of these things. I've got basically seven things that I tell people to do. Now, you don't have to do all seven of these. But let me, let me just go through these somewhat quickly. And you can ask questions along the way. Do you like how I'm taking control of your podcast? Yes. So I'll... I'll do this. This is part. exactly what I want. I can just go take a bathroom break and you can still just keep going. I always tell people the very first thing you need to do is to plan the resolution or lesson to the story. What most people do is they assume that the audience will get why you're telling the story. And sometimes it's so obvious that it would be almost insulting to the audience to declare the lesson learned. But most of the time, you should actually say, here's why I'm telling you this, or here's what I learned from that. No, that's that's really good. In fact, if I told this iPad story and I didn't have the lesson, it would require more calories for people to just understand it, which would then either tire them out, like literal calories being used to figure out, well, okay, well, what's the point of this? And maybe some of them get it, maybe some of them don't. Or I can make their life easier and just go, here's what all that really means. And now it's the lesson wrapped in the story that can get retold, that gets remembered, etc and brings emotion to it. That's the other part of the story. That totally. And what's cool about that is a good story can go in a bunch of different directions. Because the same story that you're telling is know your audience. That could also... Because you, you could tell that same story and the lesson could be 
I bring this up because my son felt like, what did he have to lose? I may as well take my shot. So that's what I, one of the things I love about good stories is I want to be careful about the way I say this, but so I picture this, I always have an Excel file, column one, name of story, column two, approximate length, column three, purpose. And a lot of stories can have more than one entry in that purpose column, just like the one that you just told. So, but I always tell people, you have to figure out why you're telling the story. You can't just tell a story just because, oh, it's funny. I heard people like stories. Sure. But it's more effective if you declare out loud what the resolution or lesson is. Love it. So the mistake would be just telling the story without any real point or purpose or end goal or end lesson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Next one is to prime the audience. This one feels very obvious, but plenty of stories fall apart or plenty of people don't do this. Okay. So picture you're at a cocktail party talking to like someone not very interesting. You want to get away from this conversation. And then then they say, let me tell you a story. It's it's like you, you perk up, your posture gets a little bit better. We are excited by stories. You hear them say something like, I heard a great story about that. Oh my gosh, I have a great story about that. What you're doing is you're priming the audience to enjoy it. What most people do is they jump right into it. Now, picture this, especially if you're doing something online, YouTube video, you are very likely one of several tabs that are open. And same thing, if the audience here is, I've got a story or let me tell you a story, it's like, oh, let me go back to that tab. Let me stop emailing. Let me go back to that tab. So now that feels really obvious to most people, but that helps tremendously. It lets the audience know they're about to hear something good. I've experimented a few times on YouTube videos and on podcasts, starting out by saying, hey, let me tell you a quick story before I even get into what's the purpose of this episode or who our special guest is. And I've noticed that retention rates are in fact higher because what I feel happens is people go, ooh, story time, right? Like you said, versus mm, like, is this gonna be even worth my time or not? The story, hopefully with a good ending or a good reasoning behind it will then lead to, okay, I'm committed to this, right? And plus what you're doing online is part of the storytelling. Obviously, you gotta be decent at telling story. You can't just tell a story for 20 minutes and expect people to stick around if it's not great or, or worthwhile. Let's say, for example, you, you tell a 30-second, 45-second story at the beginning of a podcast that relates to why they should stick around. Well, now they've committed a whole minute to the podcast that would then lead them to stick around or probably put that phone in their pocket or go on that drive. And now they're no longer able to or, or likely to exit. So I love that idea. And priming the audience, like imagine we're at that cocktail party again and you're with somebody not so interesting and they go, it was a dark and stormy night. You just, you're just going there. And now I think you're more weird because you're just, I'm not even interested. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to, to picture is just someone, they can tell you they're losing Pat. He wants to go get another drink and they just, hold on. It was a dark and stormy night. Right. Or even not the hold on, just like going right into it, right? It, I think it was Kevin Hart who had spoken about uh, storytelling once when I was doing a lot of research on storytelling. And if you watch Kevin Hart, whenever he's on stage, and especially when he's when he's in a group, you know, he tells some, like comedians especially tell amazing stories. He always says he's got to get the attention of people around him first before he tells a story. Actually, he told this on Joe Rogan. He said that whenever he's in a group of people and he's going to tell a story, he goes, hey, guys, 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 listen up, listen, like step one, get people's attention, right? And that's priming them getting ready. He goes, guys, guys, this Tuesday, this incredible thing happened with my car. It's like, yo, what happened to, the, to your car? And now they're in, right? So I love that tip. That's, that's a really good tip. 
That's Thank so you. good. And then along with that, so the next tip is to create tension. This is really what story is all about. So if you were to take a screenwriting class, and you certainly don't have to, but if you were to take a screenwriting class, one of the things you would be taught is that in a film, every single scene should either create tension or release it. Create tension or release it. That makes sense. So what tension feels like to the audience is them thinking, wait, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? Now, it's certainly possible to string it out for too long. And a lot of people do that. Generally speaking, you want stories to be a minute or less. We want to create tension. And some ways of doing that, one way is to use the present tense instead of past. If you use the present tense, it's a way of tricking the audience into feeling like you are in that moment and watching it. It's interesting. I was listening to that Shane Sam story today. Shane, you didn't know you were going to get this much play today. The exciting parts of his story, he dips into the present tense. What that does for the audience is it makes them feel like, oh my gosh, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? Instead of saying, oh, I told Jocelyn that this was going to be the life-changing podcast for us versus Jocelyn, Jocelyn, this podcast is going to help us become millionaires. I'd run inside. I say, Jocelyn, Jocelyn. So if it's, if it's present tense, it feels that way. There's tension in there. And then we need to release the tension. And the best way to communicate that is, I'm going to use the word, the release is the punchline. Now, to be clear, not every story needs to be funny, but the punchline is the, the payoff for the audience. The most popular TED Talk is Sir Ken Robinson. It's like 70 million views or something. On education, right? Right. And the, the first half of that TED Talk is basically him telling stories. He's so good at it. And if you take a look, and I, I've studied this extensively, but he... I mean, I'll just tell you one of the stories. I've heard it so many times. He's like, I heard a great story recently. I love telling it. It's about a girl who was in a drawing lesson. She was six. She was in the back drawing. She hardly ever paid attention. And in this drawing lesson, she did. By the way, it has a British accent, so it sounds better than me, right? But in this drawing lesson, she did. The teacher was fascinated. She went over and says, what are you drawing? And the girl says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, but nobody knows what God looks like. And now here's going to be the release of the tension. And the girl says, they will in a minute. So the release is the, the punchline. Tension release is a big thing. So present tense is great for that. Asking questions of the audience, you might say something like, now you might be wondering what that means, or you might be wondering why that matters. Another thing you can do is to give them insight into your own brain. I remember thinking to myself, what's he going to say now? Something like that builds tension. And then we would need to release the tension. That's almost like there's some classic movies that start out that way. Some like crazy scenario. You're like, what the heck is going on? Pause. Hey, I'm Ryan. You might be wondering, how did I get into this situation, right? Or Ratatouille, right? It, that happens in the beginning of Ratatouille also. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's Fight Club. That's my favorite movie. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. In the beginning, he's like, how this all started was... And then two hours later, you're like, oh, okay. Dude, I got to send you that video to the Kevin Hart interview because that story he tells at that time, he tells a story about a fan who wanted his autograph, but he was at a restaurant and he was going to the bathroom. He's like, yeah, like just chill out here, wait up. I'll be in the bathroom. I'll come out. I'll sign your autograph. He's like, cool, cool, cool. So he goes and he's in the stall and he notices between like the cracks in the stalls, like this boy comes into the bathroom, is like waiting for him where the sinks are. And he's like, dude, I just told this guy to stay. What is he doing in there? Is he going to murder me? Like, what's going to happen? And that's like the tension part, right? And you're just like, how could you leave that story? You have to stay until the end for that. Yeah. Eh, not interested. Turning this off. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So that right there is an example of my absolute favorite tip, which is we need to put the audience in the scene. So they need to feel like they're in the scene. Another way of saying this is we want to be more like country music than rock music. So let me let me break apart what I mean by that. 
Okay, so like, listen, I love rock and roll. I love country. I'm not telling you to listen to one over the other. But like every rock and roll song is like, why won't you ever love me? And we hurt each other and we'll do it again, right? Like that's, th- those are rock and roll lyrics. Those are really abstract. And country music is concrete. Con- country music paints a scene. It's like me and my late, this is Kenny Chesney. This is not my favorite country song, but I'm just saying it tells a story. He's like, me and my lady had our first big fight. I drove around till I see the night neon lights of a corner bar and it just seemed so right. So I pulled up, not a soul around, but the old bar keep down at the end looking half asleep. Like you were picturing this whole thing happening. Your audience is more likely to be bought in if we paint a picture of the scene versus just speaking abstractly. The lawnmower story works because it takes place on a lawnmower. It's not just, I listened to Pat's podcast. It's, I was on the lawnmower and I was on the lawnmower and I pause and I run inside, right? Like that's how it feels. Uh, Amy Porterfield, if you hear her origin story, one of the things she talks about is she gets a phone call while she's on the tarmac. So she's like walking on the tarmac, wheelie bag in one hand, phone on the other, getting screamed at. You can picture that whole thing. That makes us feel like we're there. Ultimately, that's the power of stories. We're we're dropping the audience into a scene from our life. And the more that we can add little detail, the more credible the story is, the more the audience is bought in. And that almost automatically adds tension. Thank you for that. That's a great one. And how do we do that? Is it like if I'm going to the grocery store, you know, I park my car, the rubber on the wheel felt greasy to my hands. I opened the door and the squeak sounded louder than ever before. You know, like... Right, right, right. Because there's such a thing as overdoing that. And we can all probably think of a bad storyteller in your life who's... I'm just thinking of someone who will remain unnamed. And she would tell stories and she would say things. She would just add every last detail. It's like, and I met up with him and he was drinking a lemonade and I had on Argyle socks that day. And as an audience member, you're like storing those little details in your head. Okay, Argyle socks is going to matter. Argyle socks is going to matter. It never matters. The, the key is that we just need to add one or two vivid details from the key part of the story. Perfect. That's, that's what I was looking for. Like, how many things do we describe? So when, I, when, it, when you tell the story of Amy Porterfield with the suitcase, she's obviously going somewhere. It's in her hand. We can, we can imagine it. And then something happens and her life changes, right? So the lawnmower, that's a vehicle that was basically representing doing the work and grinding and getting it done. And then, boom, here comes a podcast that interrupts that in a, in a way, almost symbolically. And we don't need to know that Amy was sitting in seat 7A. Like, that's that's too much. That doesn't matter. We just need to know that she... In, in 7B was somebody else, right? And then the numbers matter. Right. Exactly. Or if 7 was her anniversary and she's missing her husband, something like that maybe matters. Something like that. Yeah. Just to give a little bit of the science on that, if you read the book Made to Stick, they do this great study. So they do this great study. This is like a mock trial study done in college. And you know how these things work. A-B testing, basically. Group A, they say the children went to bed and they brushed their teeth. Group B, the children went to bed and they brushed their teeth using Darth Vader toothbrushes. And it's like the people who bought story B with the Darth Vader toothbrush, the results are through the roof. Like that little detail sticks out to us. That's true. Yeah. I could overdo that, but that's my favorite thing. Beware of overdoing it, but just one or two vivid details at the key point is what you're looking for. How do we, before we move on to the next tip, I'm just curious. I know from my own experience that I need to practice telling these stories and I need to tell them in ways that are terrible in order to eventually tell them in a way that can hopefully be great. What are your favorite ways to practice storytelling? 
I can always tell someone has not rehearsed a story because here's how it all sounds. It'll say, I was doing I was doing a podcast interview with Pat and I hooked up my microphone. And so I realized the microphone wasn't working well. So there's a lot of... There, there are no periods on the end of sentences. This is a true story, by the way, y'all. There's no periods on the end of sentences. There are a lot of and. There's a lot of and so. What we actually want to do... and this is going to sound staged, but I promise this was my next tip is air on the side is shorter. So it, it's almost like the shorter you can make it, the better that the most popular Sarah Ken Robinson story in that talk is 24 seconds long. It's 24 seconds. That's it. Unless it's a truly incredible story, like it should be a minute or less. And what you want to do is run it through a bunch of people. I would try to talk in seven to 10 word sentences. And I mean, if you wrote it out, it should be like 200 words. Would you recommend writing out the story and like essentially your script for it? I would recommend writing it out, but not feeling like you have to have it memorized. There is something to Only I knew that when you and I started working together. (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) It's like the very first thing I said. I was like, well, what do you do now? You're like, well, I write out the entire 60 minute talk. I memorize the entire thing. And I walk in. I I forget what your walk-in strategy was, but it was like three strategy or three points on the stage. I'm like, what? Like, why are you doing that? Because I don't know. Yeah, I used to write every single word. And because you're Pat Flynn and you were you're an, you're still an achiever, but you've gotten more efficient with your way of achieving. That's the reason why. I appreciate that. So write it write it down so you can just like see it and move it around or deal with it. Or I love post-it notes actually. Put this is how I practice prepare my stories. Now I use post-it notes and I have, you know, act one, act two, act three essentially. And then I have one post-it note per idea, moment, or quote, or story, or something. And then I move things around. And I might remove some. I might add some. Now I'm at a point where I'm confident enough where if I have experienced something, I can just tell it. And I'll practice with real people before I write it down. And I might eventually get to a point where I write it down before a a big stage talk. But like you said, I never go exactly according to what I write down. In fact, oftentimes, uh, it goes in ways that I didn't even know it was going to go because I'm just having fun on stage at that point. And also, okay, let me let me give a more like concrete answer to your question about how you can rehearse it better. One would be to rehearse with someone, hear how many times they say, uh-huh. If they say, uh-huh, more than once, <laughs> this story is too long. So that, that's one thing you can do. If you're telling me a story, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like that story has gone too long. Another thing you can do is rehearse with, I don't mean literally me, but rehearse with me or someone else and have them tell the story back to you and see what detail, see what they actually remember. Because th- those are probably the good parts. And that's that's really a good thing for any speech, but especially for a story that's helpful. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Talking it out loud by yourself, is that considered good practice? Yeah, the more you do it, the more the, the more you'll realize, oh, I don't need this part. Most of us, this is similar to what Laura Belgray says about copywriting. Laura in copywriting says, you can almost always delete the first paragraph, like <laughs> start writing the email and then, and then go back. Oh, I don't need the first paragraph. That's almost always going to be true with the first draft of your story because your temptation will be, this takes place at sixth grade. I was in school in Connecticut. It was December. And, and you go back and you hear the story like, oh, I don't, nobody needs to know that stuff. But what, what's really happening there is you're recalling the details for yourself. And that's the same reason why the bad storyteller is telling you, uh, I was wearing Argyle socks that day and I was drinking lemonade. It's because in the moment, she's remembering those things and it's kind of fun. It doesn't actually help the person hearing the story. So there you go. Air on the side of shorter is my... We just spent a lot of time on that, ironically, to say air on the side of shorter. That's good. So the next one is totally optional. But if you do it well, it can be. It can really add a lot to the story, which is 
if there's a character other than yourself in the story, if you can describe that character in a sentence, that is gold. So you're telling a story, right? Because if I'm telling a story about you and the audience doesn't know you, they don't need to know. And Pat lives in San Diego and his birthday's in December and he has two kids and he's happy. Like they don't need to know all that stuff. They just need to know the part of you that is essential to the story. Truthfully, I have said this about Pat Flynn before when someone asked with Pat like, I'm like, Pat's the type of guy that you give him homework and he does the homework. Right. So if I'm telling a story, like I, I need to, I need to mention whatever helps the story. Now, if you were really in one of my stories, that needs to either inform who you are or it needs to be used ironically. Right. So it's like Pat's the type of guy who does the homework, but for some reason today he didn't do it. And now look what happened. That's the way it needs to be used. So some other ones that my friend Sarah, I always describe her as the uh, the type of woman who eats quinoa as her cheat meal. So it's like the point. The point is instantly you know that person. You don't need a whole background. I and mean, she went to college here and da da da. Grant Baldwin, I think you know Grant. I describe Grant in a story. I'm like Grant's the type of person who shows up at Disney World and he's got a plan. He knows exactly what rides they're going to go on. You know that person immediately, and it helps the story. That's very true about Grant. Love you, Grant. That's good. I, so is that, this is the type of man, this is the type of woman, he's the type of kid. Is this uh, like a good sort of just formality or structure for it? Yeah, totally. It, yeah, right, right. This is the type of guy who blank. This is the type of woman who blank. Here's a hint. Pat, Pat and I both love the Enneagram. So some people, this sounds like Indiana Jones or something. We talked about the Enneagram and we could do a whole separate podcast on that. But if you know the Enneagram... And you know the person's Enneagram number, you can basically just drop one of those traits into describing them. Does that make sense? So it's like my, ooh, no, let's not talk about my wife. Let's rewind. <laughs> I was thinking about going down that direction too, but but I should. No, my, my wife, April, uh, many of you know, uh, know of her or have met her perhaps at FlynnCon. She is an Enneagram 6 who is a loyalist. She's the type of person who's only going to have a few number of friends. She's not going to be caught in a large group. But she will take a bullet for any of them. Perfect. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Steve is the type of guy who will fly to the Maldives tomorrow because it sounds fun. <laughs> that's an Enneagram 7 if you know Enneagram. But even if you don't, it's frankly, it's a fun writing activity anyway. But it helps the story because the audience instantly feels like they know that person. The quinoa one was great. I love how you said that. That's good. I need to do more of that. I, I've never done that before in a story. I got to I gotta do more of that. It's fun. Well, and even in the Sir Ken Robinson one, he talks about, he's like, the, the little girl hardly ever paid attention. But in this lesson, she did. So she hardly ever paid attention. You can picture that person. This is not the A student. This is the girl in the back of the room. Uh, probably didn't do really well. But in this lesson, she does. It helps inform the story. I like it. These are all really good. Yeah, let, let's, let's finish off. Last thing is to obsess about the ending. So... So many people, whether it's on stage, video, whatever, run out of gas at the end. And the ending to a lot... Okay, so let me say this differently. What we're trying to avoid in a story is the ending like, well, I guess you had to be there. And then, and then we got away. Right? Like that's, that's like, I'd rather not even hear the story because I've invested this time and it's like... Uh. If I had to be there, I didn't need to, <laughs> I didn't need to hear the story. <laughs> Pat, I feel like The Sixth Sense is like the all-time best ending. At least the first time you watch it, it's like the all-time best ending to a movie. If you rewatch it, it's, it's not like that great of a movie, but the ending is like, oh my gosh. Now, I'm not saying that we can always have this ending that you know has people 
pushing themselves away from the table and covering their mouths in shock, right? Like that's not always possible. But the ending to a speech, the ending to a story, the ending to a video, we want the audience feeling this emotional high. So a lot of times what we need to do is to actually change the order of the story or to end it before the experience ended in real life. So like, let me give you an example. There was one guy that I coached. He wanted to tell a story about playing basketball with Adam Sandler. That's how he started the story. I, I live in Santa Monica. And one day I went down to the court and uh, Adam Sandler was there and he was my teammate. And so he's telling the story and it's like, but the, the best part is four seconds in and the rest of it is just hearing about Adam Sandler's basketball ability, which is not... I've seen him play basketball. He wears basketball shorts. He's the type of guy... Oh, good one. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Sandler is the type of guy to wear uh, to to play basketball in in two XL basketball shorts with a polo shirt. Oh, let's make this story even better. I didn't I didn't have that one. So here's the way I actually told him to say it. I'm like I'm like okay, Nate, it needs to be. I live in Santa Monica. Went down with a friend to play basketball. After a while, there are these two guys who are sitting out on the side. They're like, "Can we play?" And finally, we said yes. So it's a pickup game. We pair the the tallest guy with the shortest. So Nate's six five. You see him on stage. I'm obviously the tallest guy and they put me with the shortest guy. So I introduced myself. I'm like, I'm Nate. And he says, Nate, it's nice to meet you. Doesn't say his name. So the game starts. Nate's posting up. He's the tallest guy. His teammate's good enough. But he's... And let's let's insert Pat Flynn's edition here. But he's like the type of guy who's wearing two double X shorts. Like he can dribble through his legs and everything. But he's also like acting a little goofy. He says, I can't even call for the ball because I don't know the guy's name. Then after a few possessions... I'm, I'm like on defense and I'm sitting there. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why isn't this guy telling me his name? And I look over at him guarding my buddy. And I realize why he never introduced himself. It's Adam Sandler. Like, do you hear how that's a better story? That's so good. The cool thing actually was saved to the end in that case. That's really good. And there was some detail in there. Guys sitting on the bench, a little bit of picking team, a little bit of... This type of guy is not very great. Posting up. I'm there with you, like you said earlier. Like, imagine that I'm there with you. And I'm imagining me looking over to this guy guarding my my partner and then looking and going, oh my gosh, like that's Adam Sandler. Like that's Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> and then and then that's the end. It's just like, and that's Adam Sandler. Yes. Yeah. That's Adam Sandler. I forget what the lesson is in that story. Okay. That the lesson. Yeah, that's what's needed. The lesson is celebrities don't want you to know that they're celebrities because they feel like paparazzi's on them all the time and they just want to be regular people. Sometimes there's value in anonymity or sometimes the best thing we can do is to not get in someone else's business. It's a little bit of a stretch, but the actual point of the story is just to tell at a cocktail party and to have people excited. But it's better if it ends with, it was Adam Sandler versus, you know, and you know, he didn't pass enough. Like, okay. Well. <laughs> that's true. No, that's good. So whether we tell these stories in videos or on a podcast or in person or on a big stage in front of a crowd, like all these tips that you mentioned are so great. And like you said, you don't have to use all of them, but any one of them can enhance the message and the ultimate lesson. And that's the one thing I think entrepreneurs are great at. We know the lessons of what we want to teach and we just kind of go right to it right away. And we just blend in with everybody else who's going to it right away. And these stories from your life and from wherever, I mean, the final question I want to ask you is, where do you get your inspiration for stories? And, and where might people look to find these stories that are around them to include in their, in their content? Everybody I have ever worked with has reached a point in a speech or a podcast or whatever they're working on where they're nervous that they're telling people things they already know. 
that is why we often speak over our audience's head. The dumbest feeling for us would be to explain, you need to think about your audience when they already know that. One of the reasons why story is so effective is because it's impossible to tell a story that's beneath your audience. If it was really basic, I guess maybe you could. But story is a different way of expressing the same point, And it hits people on a deeper level. So it's one of the reasons why it's so valuable to do. I recommend, like you said, a memory ba- or a, a story bank, story vault, whatever terminology you want to use there. I literally have a Google file. I have a Google Sheets file that just like Pat said, I just jot things down. Sometimes it's a micro story. By micro story, I mean something that doesn't need to have this lengthy exposition. It's just two or three sentences. Sometimes it's something longer. But it's like when someone tells a great story, <laughs> uh, there are certain people in my life that I literally... My one friend, Chris, is a, a park ranger in Denali. And he, every year, he has one insane story. And I'm always like, Chris, let me record this one. I'm not saying you have to be that weird about it. But writing them down, writing them down, writing them down. One of the things you can do, a great place to start is thinking about childhoods, so think about first grade. Like, go to first grade, spend two minutes thinking about the people who are in your class in first grade, second grade, third grade, fifth grade. I don't know why I skipped fourth, uh, fifth grade, all the way through middle school. Middle school is really good because a lot of those stories are really painful. And painful stories are great to recover from. So, if we think of a story as transformation from beginning to end, that's a really good starting point. How awkward you were in sixth grade. I had braces three times. I had the biggest file in my orthodontist office, right? Like, so I wasn't that cool is what I'm saying, right? So that that can be a really good starting point. So thinking about your life as one long timeline, that's really good. It can also be helpful to think of important people in your life and stories that happened with them. So it's like, drop yourself into college. And I'm thinking of my, my college roommates like Chris and Josh and Peyton. And I think of Peyton and a few stories jump to mind. And again, I don't need to write out the whole story. Just a few words that remind me of this story. So it's like the Jethro Tull story. I know what that is. I don't need to write out the whole thing. Honestly, spending an initial half hour on that would take you so, so far. And then just jotting those stories down. Pat said at the end of the day, whenever it's coming to mind, that's great. I read magazines, which I know is kind of outdated, but I, I get physical magazines. One of the reasons why is because they have great stories in there. And the magazines I read are not read by that many of my peers. So I'm, I'm 43, but I think I'm in the like age 65 target market. Like I get Reader's Digest, and uh, <laughs> like, like the ads for that are really funny. So I get like Reader's Digest, Alaska Magazine, because these are not things that most people are reading, and that adds a degree of surprise to the stories that I read there. You didn't know that about me, did you? Yeah, watch well, no, Wheel didn't. of Fortune too. Yeah. And now every time I look at a Reader's Digest, I'm going to think of you. Yeah, when does that happen though? That's the question. I don't know if that, that's kind of bad. Bro, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you. This has been a nice refresher for me as we are starting to get back into the speaking circuit as I'm getting into YouTube a lot more now and, and of course, continuing with the podcast and such. I hope this was helpful for everybody listening. Mike, where can people go to connect with you? How might they be able to work with you? Where should they go? I help people give the best speech of their life, at least the best speech to that point in their life. And as such, my site, bestspeech.co.co, Welcome Sequence is six great... It's just six great stories to get you started off. So you'll get that in your email. Also host the Best Speech Podcast. I think for this audience, Pat, here's a big surprise for you. If you go to bestspeech.co slash Pat, I'm going to deconstruct a Pat Flynn story. So I know. So why it works. Pat is... I mean, he's so good at... Theatrical is the wrong word, but but... One of the things I love about you as a speaker is you are not fearful of doing things that feel a little bit risky. So we'll we'll deconstruct 
what works so well if there's anything that maybe, oh, we could have done this or this or this, but we'll deconstruct that. So again, that's bestspeech.co slash Pat. When someone's like, I heard you on Pat Flynn, I heard you work with Pat Flynn, I, I get excited in that moment. I'm instantly thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a good person. So I know you're always Team Flynn for the win. But uh, that is that is more than just you, my friends. I, I love working with the, the SBI tribe. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. Everybody go check out Mike. One more time, link. And where can they go get that deconstructed Pat Flynn top? Yep. So bestspeech.co and bestspeech.co slash Pat. Thank you. And for everybody out there who's seen your name, doesn't know how to say it. Can you just debunk exactly how it's pronounced right now for all of us? It's Michael Giancarlo Pacchione. So Mike Pacchione, Pacchione, if you actually want to sound Italian, that's the true pronunciation, but we've turned it into Pacchione. Mike Pacchione. There you go, everybody. So now you don't have to worry. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you. And Mike, you're awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Much love, Pat. Whew. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike. Mike is always such a pleasure to speak to. I always learn something when I'm speaking with him. And even if we're just having normal conversations on the phone or anything like that, I'm always trying to decipher, okay, how is he going to tell me this story? What's the structure of this? How is he going to bring the punchline? And he always does and always impresses me. And it just takes practice, right? It takes practice. Mike, thank you so, so much. If you want to check out what Mike has to offer you, go to bestspeech.co slash pat. Again, that's bestspeech.co slash pat. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this helps, and I hope you use some of these strategies maybe even later today at the dinner table or at work or perhaps on the next phone call with a friend. Give it a shot. Try it. And of course, in your content as well. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe. We got some more stories to tell you. We got some more content coming your way and some amazing guests, of course. Hit that subscribe button and I'll see you in the next episode. And until then, peace out, take care. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. The Smart Passive Income Podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. Also, today's show is sponsored by AppSumo, the leading digital marketplace for entrepreneurs like you and a great way to get your product in front of over 1 million entrepreneurs, founders, and small businesses. So here's what's going on. They're giving away their entire $1 million Black Friday marketing budget to creators like you. If you have an ebook, an online course, templates, or any other digital products, this is for you. You list your product on AppSumo between September 15th and November 17th. And the first 400 offers to go live will receive $1,000. The next 2,000 will get 250. And everyone who gets listed gets entered to be one of the 10 lucky winners to potentially receive $10,000. So go to AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn to list your product today and cash in on this amazing deal. Again, AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn. Link in the description as well. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes.
characteristic style, the autocratic ruler of what's been called Europe's last dictatorship chose not to wait for the official result before declaring himself winner by an overwhelming majority. Alexander Grigorevich Lukashenko has been the president of Belarus since 1994, the country's first and only free election. He's described by some as Europe's last dictator, amid claims of involvement in mass torture, repression and state-sponsored smuggling. Over the years, many of his political opponents have found themselves behind bars, including Sergei Tikhonovsky, the political blogger who's critical of the Belarusian authorities, was arrested in May 2020 after planning to run for president. His wife, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, then took up the fight for him and the people of Belarus who want change. Lukashenko is not expected to play fair. In the run-up to this weekend's vote, his security forces have been brutal, detaining or fining more than 1,200 protesters and targeting especially bloggers and journalists. Last year's election was clouded in controversy, with the vote not considered to be free or fair. Has the regime underestimated the will of the public? What more can the international community do? And how much will it take to replace Lukashenko? Welcome to the Sky News Daily Podcast with me, Dermot Manor. I think that every person in our country uh, feels fear. Svetlana joined me on the podcast recently to talk openly about the price her family has paid and to explain why the fight for a better future is still very much alive. Hello, hello. Yes, it's Dermot here. So good to talk to you. Are we? Uh, are you hearing me loud and clear? <laughs> yes, I hear you loud enough. I'm Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, and I'm Democratic leader of Belarus, president-elect, and a mother of two. Could we just start with how you got into politics and and why you got involved in politics? Was it something you had planned or just because of the circumstances that built up around you and your family? For sure, I'm in politics by fate. I have never had such intention or ambition. And, uh, you know, when my husband started to broadcast about political situation, uh, he was several times in jail because of his political views. I was just his wife. I was bringing up our children, was housewife, and was never involved in politics very deep. Because, of course, in our country, we talked a lot about politics behind the closed doors in our kitchen, almost whispering, because we knew how the regime is cruel. But my husband is a brave person. He was uh, talking openly about the regime, about Lukashenko. And uh, when he declared that he wants to participate in uh, the nearest election, he was uh, put in jail again. And uh, when he wasn't allowed to 
participate in pre-election campaign. I brought my documents to Central Election Commission just to show to my husband that he's important to me, that I uh, really appreciate what he's doing. I was sure that my documents will not be accepted because uh, Central Election Commission knew who I am at the time, wife of my husband, but for sure they wanted to make love of me. They wanted to show that nobody will support women without any political experience. I think that they underestimated me. They underestimated Belarusian people. They underestimated will of Belarusians for better future. And did they underestimate the will of a Belarusian woman? It sounds to me as if there is quite a traditional view, certainly from the regime, towards what a woman should and should not do. Yeah, I, I think that in Belarus, we are like post-Soviet country. It was supposed that women should be in the kitchens, preparing food and whatsoever. Though we have many women in business, in uh, other spheres that are having ruling position. But anyway, women were always, I suppose, underestimated in Belarus. And moreover, uh, before uh, pre-election campaign, Lukashenko said that our constitution is not for a woman. A woman will never have enough strength to rule a country. How do you feel when, when you hear that? The, the leader, the ruler of your country saying that 50% of the population aren't fit to be involved in politics? You know, in uh, the most democratic countries, there is promotion of uh, equality of women and men. But maybe in Belarus, we didn't pay much attention to this equality, non-equality, because we had other problems, other troubles. We didn't have rights at all. So uh, this question wasn't maybe discussed rather vividly in Belarus. But as for involvement in politics, you know, I think that the situation itself, that after 27 years of the regime's ruling in our country, our people are really get tired of it. We have an opportunity to visit other countries, have an opportunity to see how other people, maybe even on Internet, you know, we see that we really want better future for uh, our children. And last year was the result of this understanding. New generation grew up that haven't been living in Soviet Union. They have other values. They have other understanding what uh, normal life is. So people are prized for their dignity, for their rights. Possibility to participate in the future of the country in political situation. At this point, I know our listeners will be wanting to know some specific answers about your your family situation first of all it's sergey isn't it your your husband um was as you say arrested again last year it was last may wasn't it in 2020 have you had any contact with him how is he just tell me about his condition he was kidnapped on the 29th of may 2020 until now he's uh, in jail in Belarus, people don't have opportunity to communicate with prisoners, only through the lawyers. Even those who are in the country don't have such opportunity. 
and uh, we are sending messages through lawyer, usual messages about uh, what he needs, maybe some food, some clothes. We don't have enough information about his state in jail. And uh, now he is under so-called trial. It is so-called because it's in prison, not even in the court. No relatives, no journalists are allowed to this trial. But, you know, my husband is a very strong person. And I know that he will never betray uh, his values, what he was standing for, the same as uh, thousands of other Belarusians who are behind the bars now. But people in Belarusian jails, they are being tortured. They are humiliated physically and morally every day. They are lack of evident things like pillows, uh, like blankets, uh, normal food, normal water. So the situation in jails is awful and hardly uh, any European can even imagine what KGB people are doing with Belarusians there behind the bars. We can't. I mean, it just sounds dreadful. And as you say, applies to so many people at the moment. But, but just on your family, I mean, it's terrible for you. What about your children as well? What do you say to them? No, I have two children, a five-year daughter and 11-year-old son. My older son, of course, he understands where his father, he doesn't ask many questions. He's just writing letters to him. Uh, He knows what he can write and what he can't because of the question of security. But my younger daughter, of course, she doesn't know where uh, daddy is, but every evening we are talking about our father. Uh, we are watching videos with him and uh, watching our photos. And she's uh, asking, when uh, am I going to see him again? You know, she's very small, of course, but she misses uh, him very, very much. And I understand that they used your children as a threat against you when you got involved in politics, saying that they'd take them away to an orphanage. Yeah, this is true. Once, uh, the first time uh, I got such a threat was maybe in June. A known person called me and told, if you're not stop, you know, doing this, uh, meaning this uh, pre-election campaign, so you will be jailed and your children will be put in orphanage and you will not see them for, I don't know, 15 years. And I took the decision to bring them to Lithuania and just to feel more free in Belarus. She dared to run against the regime. But a day later, she was on the run herself, forced to flee Belarus, scared for her children. Finally, emerging from hiding in next-door Lithuania. On the 10th of August, I was made to flee the country, and I uh, joined my children. And at that moment, uh, when I was like persuaded by KGB people to leave the country, I also was threatened with uh, my children. You know, they know where to push what is the most important things for uh, every woman. And they just also told that, oh, we will we will jail you and your children will be abandoned and uh, will be put in orphanage, you know, things like this. Do we know how many political prisoners are being held in Belarus now? 
you know, there is a, a division. We have officially recognized political prisoners, officially recognized by human rights centers. And at the moment, there are 670 political prisoners. But there are thousands of those who are not recognized because of paperwork. So maybe relatives don't want them to be recognized for different reasons. But all those people were detained because of their political views or because they uh, were participating in peaceful demonstrations. So they are in the broader sense of uh, the word political prisoners. They are thousands of them. Such an awful situation. Yet President Lukashenko, well, we saw the protests. He's still there. He just ignores them. What are your thoughts on how things change and and if things will change? I doubt that ex-president of Belarus ignored uh, all those demonstrations. If he did, so there wouldn't be so many people behind the bars. He's afraid of our nation. He's afraid of our unity. He's afraid of our joint position. He understands that he doesn't control minds of Belarusian people. You are not a leader if you need to uh, use violence and tortures to make people love you. You know, the situation in Belarus, of course, is awful because uh, it's easy to stop uh, peaceful demonstrations when you have violence and guns. But people haven't changed their mind. They want the changes so strongly that they are continuing to fight undergroundly. We, they are building underground structures in case when there will be next uprising or national-wide strike, uh, people will know each other. People will know how to communicate with each other. Because in August and September, people went to the streets you know, a little bit chaotically. They saw, they hearts demanded this. But now we are trying to uh, build structures, to build underground organizations, to resist more centrally, I say. Regime knows that people didn't give up, that people united not only in the, in the inside country, but all those who had to flee Belarus, they are organizing themselves uh, in exile. They are working on different initiatives that, on the one hand, put pressure on the regime, on the other hand, fundraise money for those who are in need, for political prisoners, their relatives, for mass media that also have been destroyed in Belarus. So it's all about people. For example, Lukashenko is destroying all the uh, organizations that have been working for years in Belarus and people have to flee the country. But he doesn't understand that organization is not just registration. Organization is about people. People relocated and continue their job. They continue communicating with international organizations. They continue to show what's going on in Belarus. They continue to fight for their rights, for political prisoners. And uh, I'm really glad that uh, Belarus united countries, united different political parties outside, united continents, and uh, democratic countries are you know, staying strong, just supporting Belarusian people. International community mobilized and create multiple points of pressure on the regime, isolating him politically, economically, and uh, send clear message that now regime is not a threat only for Belarusian people, but he's a threat to the security of Europe as well. And uh, I'm sure that European Union and the USA, United Kingdom will stay together and strong and firm just to 
make Lukashenko to avoid impunity and make him to start negotiations with Belarusian people. And I was very interested there in some of the words you used there. Well, one very small word. Words are extremely important. And I referred to President Lukashenko and you said ex-President Lukashenko because the 2020 election was illegitimate. It's important that, isn't it? Um, Would you like to see, you mentioned the international community there, referring to Lukashenko in that way? That uh, that election, you're saying that election was stolen from the people. You're absolutely right, and thank you that you noticed this. While giving interviews, I rather often hear that uh, journalists naming Lukashenko president of Belarus, and I always correct them, because we have to use to this understanding that he is not the president of Belarus anymore. He lost the trust of people. He lost his legitimacy. So as European countries didn't recognize last election in Belarus, they didn't recognize the legitimacy of Lukashenko. So countries have to be consistent in their policy and uh, don't recognize any deals that Lukashenko is making at the moment. Don't recognize uh, his representatives on official meetings. Because, uh, you know, we think that this migration crisis that's, uh, that's now on the borders with Lithuania, Latvia and Poland, it was made specifically for, you know, Lukashenko wanted to make Europe talk to him because of this migration. Europe and the United Kingdom, they say, have to understand that he is uh, not the ruler of our country anymore and don't uh, recognize him in future. So, so stay consistent in, in your policy. Coming up, does Svetlana think the people of Belarus will ever be free? What role does President Putin of Russia play in supporting Lukashenko and talking about elections, of course, at the time of recording, while we're talking right now, Russia is having its own elections uh, and inevitably, I think we know the result before the counting has finished. It was understandable why uh, Kremlin supported Lukashenko after the election, because uh, Kremlin also uh, didn't expect of such uprising of people. And now it's... uh, not comfortable, not convenient situation for Kremlin if in Belarus a democratic movement will win, you know, because the situation in, in Russia is also not very stable. But we have to understand that it's not up to any other country to decide what's going on in Belarus. It's up to Belarusian people to decide their future. Okay, Kremlin now is supporting Lukashenko, but at least 27 European countries and UK and the USA and other democratic countries are supporting civil society in Belarus. So we have to deal with what we have and trying to send a message to Kremlin that we will always be neighbors with you. We just want to make our relationship more transparent. Because in Belarus, people don't know what's going on under carpet, what deals are made by Kremlin and the regime. And I think that if Russia wants to play constructive role in getting out of Belarusian crisis, so they just have to stop uh, supporting Lukashenko and Belarusian people will do the rest. And I know um, 
you met, you talk about um, the European Union, about the the West, the UK, the United States. I know you, you've met with President Biden, you've met Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the United Kingdom. What did you say to them and, and what did they say to you? Because everybody says that they are supporting Belarusian movement because democratic countries understand what we are fighting for. It's not about geopolitics. It's about dignity. It's about our human rights. It's about rule of law in our country. And uh, I'm really glad that democratic countries have very principled position on Belarus now. There is absolute consensus uh, in the USA, in the United Kingdom, what the reaction should be on cruel actions of the regime. And just I want to underline that standing for human rights, standing for law in Belarus is not interference into internal affairs. It's just our global values. Every country has to support its moral obligation of normal country to support those who are on their path to democratic changes. And I really believe that democratic countries will support Belarusian people till our victory, because Belarus can be success story, not only of Belarusian people, but also of Europe. Just underline for us then, I mean, we've discussed the huge sacrifice you and your family and so many others have made. Just underline for us how committed you are to seeing freedom for the people of Belarus. I, the same as Belarusian people, they can't stop. While uh, our people, our beloved, uh, our relatives, our sisters, brothers and, and parents are behind the bars, violence exists in Belarus, you can't stop because you don't have right. You don't have other way uh, out of this situation. Only step by step, move towards your goal. Every morning when I'm waking up and, you know, of course, I'm sometimes I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I feel such a terrible pain for those people who in Belarus, for those who have to relocate because of political persecution. You understand that your husband at this moment can't drink a cup of coffee. He can't go for a walk. He can't take a shower. He hasn't seen his children for more than one year. There are thousands of people like this. While these people are in jail, you are responsible for them. It's not only about me, it's uh, about the, all the people who are fighting. You, you doesn't have moral right to stop. You are not thinking even about stopping. Uh, because those people who are in jail, they sacrificed with their freedom, with their health, some with their lives to give us opportunity to fight further and to prove that what they were fighting for is extremely important for us as well, and that we will not betray all those uh, who sacrificed. So it is difficult, it's extremely difficult, but this is our choice, this is our path, and I'm sure that democratic countries understand what we are coming through and will be with us till our victory. Well, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, thank you so, so much for talking to us on the Sky News Daily podcast. I don't think I'm exaggerating here. I think our listeners will agree that you are an inspiration to the entire world. Thank you. Thank you, Sky News. Lukashenko has dismissed Svetlana's claim that she was forced to flee Belarus. 
which has faced a raft of sanctions imposed by the European Union. Human rights campaigners want to see him put on trial. He says he has nothing to apologise for. My thanks again to Svetlana and to you for listening to the Sky News Daily podcast, hosted by me, Dermot Murnahan, and this edition was produced by Annie Joyce, along with our interviews producer, Tatiana Alderson. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd more like it where you found this one, and we'd love a review while you're there. The driver told us to throw every luggage we brought with us in the sea. 21 extraordinary personal stories from some of this century's biggest news events. The Chilean mine rescue has to be one of the most amazing stories that I've ever covered. Storycast 21 from Sky News. Listen, follow, subscribe. Eyewitnesses said a wall of water appeared to simply rise out of the sea. There was no warning. episode please leave us a review on itunes Is that being recorded? Because feel free to add it to the beginning of the app. Okay, who's ready for some gold? Who Leave this is in, ready for some gold? Leave this in, Emo. All part of the process. We want to break the fourth wall and allow the listener into the living room for I real. I think you're frightening the listeners by being so into the pod. I love the pod. I love life. I, I don't love, really know what to say about that. I love you more than ever. <laughs> I love life. I just, I, I'm in a real good mood today. And you know what? I, I, I've told everyone about my catharsis in the desert, yeah. my cathartic experience, mm-hmm. and I've come out of it loving the pod. Wow, and, and isn't I, that nice for all of us? I've, I've come out of it thinking, if so many millions of people listen to this pod, and they love it so much, and it changes their life for the better, yeah, why wouldn't I love it? Why wouldn't I get more I, involved? I don't think people, like, people take it or leave it, really. No, no, people our love it. Our listeners are sounders, but I mean, they're not going to garage their cornflakes if we don't release a pod. That's because our listeners don't eat cornflakes. Um, come here to me. I like an old cornflake with a lot of sugar. You haven't had a cornflake in the last four years. There's, excuse me. Special K is not cornflakes. There's, I know, Special K are nicer. I, special K, here, I'm going to say it. They taste like cardboard. But I'm there for it. I love the taste of Special K. I like eating special them dry. Special K, please don't send us loads of Special K. Oh my we God, actually no, already actually, have. Come yeah. here to me. If Kellogg's are listening, 
I know which, what which, you've done. Which they are. We, yeah, we don't work for Kellogg's, by the way, but Kellogg's. No, but we are I know about, what we're you've about done. To. We're about to. I know what you've done. They took corn pops, right? They took corn pops away from us. And I thought that corn pops were just discontinued. And there I am waltzing around the supermarket in St. Bart's. Yeah. What do I see? Corn pops. No, but they're not. They're different. They've got a different name. Miel pops. Miel pops. I want miel pops here. Miel pops, to be fair. It was a really uh, bad call to to get rid of corn pops. I mean, we do have golden nuggets. I love cereal. Cereal's oh my delicious. God, my mouth is actually drooling thinking about um, Berg, golden nuggets. Berg and I, uh, for dinner last night, I had Cheerios and had, had cereal okay, in, in a bowl bed, in bed. We had cereal in bed. It was delicious, actually. It was actually very good. I'm thinking maybe we move that chair there a bit so like I get better light. So basically, we've got a little pod set up, but no, not too close to me. That's but uh, Joanne McNally, if anyone listens to my other pod, will know that she's very disorganized. So if you think I'm looking at my phone, I'm not. I'm actually reading the script off my phone because she's currently got my laptop. And my mic. And she's got... um. No, she took one of these mics no, downstairs. No, she has my other mic. No, I, I gave her my, my mic. mic. No, it's mine. Oh, we have the same one now. Yeah, so I, she took one of our mics. She was going downstairs with one of these. I was like, no, Joanne, we need that. So she got my laptop. She got the ring light. Uh, so we're a couple I, of potty bits down. I walked into my home office uh, uh, and literally like Joanne is just set up like ring lights, which we use, like everything, tripod, everything. I'd she's, adore, uh, she, she's I would adore if she lived with us. She keeps herself to herself. You would adore it if Joanne lived with us. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't worry about the fact that we have... <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Oh. Don't worry about the fact that we're a, a pretty much a full family um, and that Joanne's disorganized. So let's move her in. Great. That sounds... She is quite disorganized. She'd have to have like her own... Um, we'll, we'll wait until we have wings. Yeah. Well, that's the next house. Hello, I'm Vogue Williams. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the script still says, hello, I'm Spencer Matthews. No, and, I'm first. No, this week you are, but I don't really know why, am I? And welcome to our podcast, Spencer and Vogue. Oh, that's, that's Soon right. Soon to be Vogue and Spencer. No, no, no. Spencer and Vogue, who's now... Or Vogue and Jamie. In, ...involved and dutiful. I've actually got so many messages of people saying, yeah, Jamie was okay. But glad, I you, bullshit. Glad you're back. Screen grab and send me them. Okay. Don't believe me for one second. Guess what? I've got other messages that I want to read out as well from fans uh, this okay. week. Okay. Yeah, I do, yeah. Why, am I in trouble? No. Who's dogged just... me in for something? Well, what have you been doing is more the question. Not enough. I'm actually, do you know what I've decided? In my life, I haven't done enough bad stuff. Yeah. Well, everybody else does, so there we go. Um, right. do more bad things. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I look forward to that. that sounds... What is your peak of the week? <sighs> I'm ever closer to my beloved Jersey, um, which is happening, which is great. Uh, but my peak of this week will unquestionably be after this pod, I am taking you, my beautiful, beautiful wife, to see James Bond. I'm very nervous. I'm going to ruin it for you. Everyman Cinema, Chelsea. Thank you very much. Uh, we're coming for you. At 5.15. Do they do popcorn and all the bits? Yes, of course. I've already called ahead. Yes, I've got everything. Well, I'm just saying I, I'm not feeling 100%. And I'm just letting you know that if I fall asleep, I don't want to be in trouble for it. Darling, like as long as you come with me and sit next to no, me. No, because we just started... Don't, don't snore. 
No, I won't snore. But we started watching something together, and I keep getting in trouble over it. And it's actually putting me off watching it. Well, it's actually like, we'll like go, you're listen, the worst. We'll you're go the back absolute to it. worst. We'll go back you're, to it. Like I I'll tell you what, I it looks like it's from 1985. Well, it's not. It's just it all, looks battered okay. shit. Um, the show in question, by the way, is no, 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 because no, we've got we've got our favourites of the week. So we'll talk about the show in question then. Go on, I want your so your peak of the week is the Jersey thing. Well, Jersey's going ahead, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Rolling Hills Jersey. Fresh air, the sea, horses, the lot. Thank oh, you very much. Oh, for a second I thought you were talking about Hoth there. It's kind of funny that you're so obsessed with, with Jersey <laughs> when your wife loves Hoth, but you don't want to spend any extra time in Hoth. I want to spend loads of time in Hoth. Mm. Yeah, we'll have both. Okay, well, I'll be spending a lot of time in Hoth. That's fine. I have Lovely, I'll come put, over to Hoth I have as well. Put, Jersey a couple things. of houses on my dream board in Hoth. Lovely. Don't need so, to do that, though, because the dream house is in Jersey. Yes. Yes, it your is. Your dream house is in Jersey. My dream house is in Hoth. Right. So I shall be moving there, and I can't wait. And I think the kids are going to go to school there, R- which okay. will be really this is nice. interesting to discuss this on the pod for the first time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was thinking about it, yeah. and I just thought, that's a good idea. How interesting. I'm going to do that. Well, I look yeah. forward to living in this vast establishment on my own. Uh, right, moving on. So we've done your peak. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually I actually legitimately can't wait for our date. I just, like, I love you so much. And that, the walk, we're going to get to wear delicious, lovely winter clothes because it's a little frosty outside. So we're going to get to bust out the winter jackets, maybe even a scarf. Who knows? A scarf. Do you know what? I threw all my scarves out and now I'm like, I'm into scarves Little again. scarf, maybe some little gloves. Woohoo! Is it Christmas? I don't know. And then we're going to end up at Everyman Chelsea and we're going to get you some pick and mix and some popcorn because I know that you love both of those things. Now, I'm, and I don't love the popcorn in the UK, I have to say. Uh, I don't know let about me guess. this. Irish popcorn's lovely. Yes. Yes, it what, what, is. But do, you know what they, do you know how you make popcorn? You put corn in heat. But you don't put any butter on it. You just don't. I don't, don't offer me sweet. Boar. If I'm you, in the cinema, you, I want buttery popcorn. You should see, you should see Vogue ordering bread and boar in, in a restaurant. Yeah, they they always bring water. They bring water for me. Hi, hi can I have some bread and boar water, please? They do actually bring water all the <laughs> like time. Like literally, say it. Say butter. Butter. Boar, no, is that you, you're trying to be normal no, now? No, butter. Um, anyway, so so we'll have some popcorn without boar. We're talking about butter, actually. The butter's shite over here as well. Oh, there we go. No, I miss dairy gold. Everything, of course, is better in Ireland. So, it is. I yeah. miss a lot of things. Actually, speaking of which, I'll talk. Actually, I'll do that after. I've got a game for you coming up, right? Excellent. I love games. It's going to be a good game. But first of all, my peak of the week, I didn't know we were doing this. So now I have to Does think. it involve us hopping into bed together? No, it does definitely does not. That would probably be a pit. Oh, that's, my un- peak, that's unkind, isn't it? My peak <laughs> would probably be... You've been very nice to me since I've been sick. I'll give you that. You I've have. been very, very, very nice to you for a while. I know, but you know I don't like people um, fussing over me. So when you're like, I'll come home and do whatever you want me to do, I think it's really nice, but like, I'm never going to ask I meant sexually. To oh, no, thanks. Um because if you don't know, if you didn't realize I'm actually not feeling well so you keep asking I, me that same question I have noticed for the, for the last, last two, two days, days that you're... I've been so ill and that's the only question I get and I'm like are you joking me I, like I can't do but anything to be honest look, I know this isn't a pod about sex so we don't need to talk about it but you know when I'm feeling unwell 
bit of sex can be better than medicine. Okay. Well, you can go and take Pam and her five sisters into the toilet and do whatever you Who? feel like doing. I Who? <laughs> Pam and her five sisters. Who the fuck are they? <laughs> Your aunt. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely bizarre. <laughs> Pam and her five sisters. Do you mean palm? Pam. Palm. Pam. Pam. That's why I say Pam. You're not speaking properly aunt. again. You know the palm of your Pam aunt. and boar. You know Pam and her five sisters pretty well. <laughs> Doesn't everyone? <laughs> so do you. <laughs> Save rate. Come here to me. I'm trying to do my peak of the week. Probably, you know what? Me. Am I your peak? Yesterday. I love you so much. Yesterday, I had a lovely day and we went to Purple Dragon and the kids <laughs> just love Purple Dragon. Yeah. And it's so easy there with them. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's absolutely exhausting because you're constantly running after them. But, but like, you, you don't have, have to run after them. Got to, you can, we can just pay attention to Gigi. Like, Theodore is easily old enough to just Theodore was around. playing with this girl who must have been about eight and they were playing together Legend. for like over an hour and like I kept going to check on them and they were sitting in like there was t- him and two girls and like they were holding he hands he also likes so- all the birds Woo! <laughs> it was so cute and then he was bawling crying when he had to come for dinner because he wasn't allowed to uh, play with his friend yeah. but he, it was actually so sweet that like he just makes little friends and he had such a great time so that's the peak of my week and um, the pit is obviously that I feel like um just awful but i'm here for you i tried to go for a run today because i thought to myself i'm gonna sweat was it this pitiful? out it was the most pathetic run honestly i was so embarrassed what was, was embarrassing like, about even it like, just the general pace or the pace was just horrendous the fact that i was out of breath when i was practically walking oh dear but at least i got out there and we I were had- we'd walk the kids to purple dragon last night and obviously like i'm trying <laughs> i'm trying to cut the walk you know just i'm trying to get there just because theodore sat on the thing and Gigi they're both whinging the entire way you know obviously it's nice just to get there i started walking slightly faster and very goes, i can't walk that fast I couldn't. I felt like, I, you know, when you're just like, oh my God, I can't. I shouldn't have gone, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I felt really bad. But this week is Halloween and we've been decorating our house. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about oh Halloween. Oh my God. Did ever, did anybody just hear Vogue call it our house? <laughs> yeah. That's that's amazing. It's usually my house. Um. Anyway, that's great. That's, yeah. That's the so peak. Can I change the peak of my week <laughs> to Vogue calling uh, this our house? That's, I'll, I'll take it. Go. Um, okay. And I have been loving getting the kids dressed up, but I, I got Theodore Not and as Olaf. Much as I love you. An Olaf costume. Jesus. Anyway, so my favorite thing about this week, I love like getting the house all Halloweened up for the kids. They love it. I love having their Halloween costumes, but I got Theodore an Olaf costume and he loved Frozen a while ago. Well, I put the Olaf costume on him. I bought him a brown top. So they would be the, like the sticks of his arms. So they would be sticking out of the Olaf costume. And I got all the pictures back from nursery. They took the costume off. He was crying. All he was, he, hate, he looked like a little brown stick man. He hates that dressing was it. up. He hates dressing up. And I, He's always hated it. I know. And, I've, and, I, and then I like all I did was like, he just went in as like a stick man or a poo. That's what he went in as. Oh yeah. Hang on. I've got a bone to pick with you about that. There she is talking about poo again. Okay, so we were recently in France. Oh, yeah. And literally, I put, I, I put on probably, like, in my opinion, it was probably the coolest outfit I've ever worn. 
So it was like these insane, like really sick slip on like brown leather shoes. And then I, can't I had, you're bringing this up. And then I had like these, this inc- these incredible like burgundy-ish but dark brown kind of suit trousers. And then like someone who's really, really cool, like tucked in this like, this kind of café or crème Good story is a quick t-shirt. story. Good story is a quick story. Right. Um, uh, and basically, you know, that there was a real maroon theme happening with Some my outfit. Some would call it maroon. Yeah. I was and, calling and, it brown. And, uh, and, well, maroon. And I was really tanned as well. So I slipped back <laughs> my hair and I got my nice little watch on. I thought to myself, wandering down La Croisette, I thought, God, I look dynamite. And Vogue started filming me. And like I, thought, I legitimately thought she was filming me because I looked like really good, and that she was like proud of me and wanted to post like how cool I looked. She then dub dubbed in the the Mister Hanky the Christmas Poo song over me. Like, well, I was actually genuinely I actually pissed have that off. Video. I, was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I can't. Quite like I, I like I very rarely get dressed and think mm, yeah like, I'm pretty keen on my outfit. Do you know what I mean? And, and like I was delighted with it. And Vogue oh, basically it is, it just made me like drew attention to the fact that she thought I looked like a Christmas shit. <laughs> Hanky the Christmas poo, we love. It's you. actually unfunny. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, the Christmas poo came from my mom. Used to have this outfit, right? It was all brown, a brown polo neck. And a brown pair of trousers, brown, 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 and all I would ever think of was Hanky the Christmas poo. That's and then Spencer an... waltzed out in his equally brown outfit, and the first thing that came to my mind was Christmas poo. But that's because you are an immature child. <laughs> it was so. I'm actually going to post that. When's this pod out? I'll post the video. You're not posting after. it. He was so angry with yeah. me. I've never seen you so annoyed. Yeah, I was. I was he raging. was so pissed off, and it didn't but help. It's not like, funny. You know when you're in school and you can't stop laughing at something. You'd be so he was being angry with me and I couldn't stop laughing. Like, I couldn't for one second stop laughing because I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Very unkind. Anyway. Anyway, back to Halloween. So now, Theodore, I bought him a Buzz Lightyear costume. So he's going to be Buzz Lightyear on Friday. He hates dressing up. Listen, he said he wants a buzz. I'm going to keep trying. Right, okay. Gigi is going to be the penguin again. No, no, but can we please get Gigi the, the lobster outfit and then put her in a pot? Oh, no, she has. She's too old for that. She has the... No. I've actually got a little Elsa dress for her. Okay, if we have another kid, we need to get the lobster outfit because actually I've wanted to do it for both of them, but we haven't done it. We could get Winnie dressed up as a lobster. No, thanks. That would involve putting him in a pot, which means that we can never use the pot again. Excuse me, Winnie's clean. Uh, what are you dressing up as for Halloween? I got a basic <laughs> witch costume because I just thought I should dress up with the kids. Are oh my just, God, I'm you, being a pirate, are you, are you actually. Just, are you just coming as yourself? <laughs> <laughs> what am I, a witch? Are you going to put on your hanky the Christmas poo outfit and come as a no, poo? it's far too stylish. <laughs> it's far too stylish. Um... <laughs> Oh, more peaks of our weeks. We're going to New York. Oh, yes, we are. I can't wait to go to New York. We have been invited to the most glitzy, glamorous event. I don't want to go. What did you just say? What did you just say? I don't want to go. You don't want to go? No, I feel like a lot of pressure about going to it. Why? Because I don't want to have to get dressed up and like look nice and just be like judged. Kind of that's how I feel. It's Bad too, luck. Get it's over actually, it. It's you're too fancy. Fa- I don't want to go. It, it, it is incredibly full on. 
Like it's like Bella Hadid is going to be waltzing through like a gazelle. I just don't want to do that shit for my self confidence. Correct. I don't want to see her. Self competence. Do you mean confidence? I said confidence. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I don't want to do that for my self competence. It's confidence, Benny. I know words you don't. So no, it's pretty. It's pretty full on. Um, It's going to be amazing. I've booked us the most marvelous hotel room. I just can't wait to be with just you. I I can't wait to go around. I'm going to get a cat's deli sandwich. I'm going anytime to I shower feel, you. Anytime I feel peckish, I'm going to get like a slice of pizza from that place. Yeah, yeah. Delicious. I'm going to get loads of, loads of sun-kissed. Oh, I'm going to come back with an orange tinge so to my exciting. skin. It's so exciting. I'm not doing any clothes shopping. I'm literally just going on a food haul it's so all great. over New York. So cat's, just... cat's deli. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Sandwich. The Reuben, the special Reuben. Cat's Dubai. deli. Uh, what is the pizza place called? Ray's. Ray's? No, mate. It's It's got uh, the street name. It's not Brooklyn, but... Why are you calling me mate? What? Are we not friends? All right, mate. Yeah, all right, buddy. You all right, mate? Oh, God, I fancy you. Speaking of, right, I want to do this game, okay? I go on then. So I was talking on the pod about my crisps the other day and how I had a packet of snacks from Dublin. Uh, of course, Mr. Tato, Irish snacks are the best. Mr. Tato in Ireland, right, sent me a box of crisps, my favourite ones. Asked me, I should have said waffles. I did say waffles as well, but there was a couple I forgot to put in. Anyway, I got my favourite crisps and I thought that Spencer and I could do a crisp. I mean, I don't need to do the taste test. He should do the taste test and you can rank the Irish crisps. Your kind of taste in certain things is quite limited. I don't care what you say about Watsits. I still love Watsits. I actually found some flaming Hot Watsits in co-op the other day. She, was na- she nailed this, like, giant bag of them. God, I love Watsits. I just do. like, they're, they're just not good. Okay, I'm going to get the crisps, right? I'm going to open each packet. Okay, I would actually like some. Okay, I'm going to do it on my... No, I'm not going to tell you which ones are my favourite. I know which I have ones are your current... favourite. You just put them down. No, no, no. I have a current favourite. Look, it changes all the time. Well, that's good to know. Okay. These are waffles. These are a bacon flavor crisp. I'll have one first. Mm. Oh my gosh. Waffles. Mm, they do look good, actually. Taste sensation? Mm, very nice. Waffles. Most agreeable. You like a waffle? Mm-hmm. Let's move through this game. I can see it being quite boring for the listener. Okay. Snacks. Potato <laughs> snacks. <laughs> Was a favourite of mine. Let's have a look. Is this prawn scampi? This is a cheese and onion flavour crisp. Yeah. Good crisp. Ah. Come on, it's a good crisp. It's okay. It's no waffle. Meanies. You've got your meanies. It's no waffle. Everyone in Ireland who's ever had a hangover will know a meanie. That's everyone. Wait. You need to chuck two in at one time. Okay. Can't eat one at a time if you're eating meanies. Okay. What do we think? Pretty good. Much better. Those. The Tato thing is not the one. They're all Tato. Oh. Banshee Bones. These were. <laughs> these used to be out. <laughs> and then they've just come back. They actually just brought them back out. Mm. No, okay. So this is easy. Favorite? Other one? Meanies are your favorite. Easily the Meanie. Mm. Then the Bacon. Um, then the Banshee Bone. And then that sorry thing there. 
A snacks. I love a snacks. Now I have to say, no. you sometimes get a more flavoursome bag. Yeah, I was about to say because that one tastes like you know the things that when you send something abroad, you know, and it's packed full of that stuff that flies everywhere, and you open the uh, you open the box and you can't quite understand why they'd put all that stuff in it. I need to put all these in a lunchbox so they don't lose their freshness. Okay, right. My well, favourite are that, the waffles at the moment, actually. Well, that was good. So we we have a winner, the meanies. The meanies. If you can get your hand on a meanie. Get your hand on a meanie. Weird thing, right? Adele has revealed okay, lovely. her, her so, most prized possession. By the way, I've never heard more about Adele I than recently. Adele. What, like, what is it? She's, she's just, just released her album. We've all like, been waiting for it's it. It's like she's gone like to sleep for t- 10 years and she's just re-emerged. I haven't seen or heard the name Adele like since someone like you. Uh, and all of a sudden, here she is again. Absolutely everywhere. Love Adele, though. I have a yeah. lot of time for Adele. She just seems sound. Um, so do you want to know what her most prized possession is? Um, it'll be like a teddy bear or something. It is a piece of used gum that Celine Dion chewed. And she's got it framed. James Corden gave it to her. Epic. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, not really, but yeah. I obviously have a penchant for gum, spitting out gum, chewing up gum. You, you'd break the frame and get it right yeah, in your mouth. I'd break the frame. I'd eat some of Celine's gum. Uh, uh, there's a lot of people's gum that I would save a lot. Your kids and I wouldn't be on that list, though. Whose gum would you save? Yours, because I love you. No, come on, like good people. Um, Like we couldn't throw away Ryan Gosling's gum. I'm not that massive. I'm not that If Ryan, Ryan Gosling spat chewing him on the ground, are you telling me you wouldn't sneakily pick it up? I, I'm 100% telling you that I would not pick it up. I would, I would however, say... I would be down say, there in a heartbeat. With, I w- I'd get my ruler out. I would, however, say, all right, Gosdog, fancy a Heineken Zero. I tell you to go and shite. I tell you to go get that chewing gum and He'll be happy be with He'll probably be there where we're going. Um, who well, else's chewing gum would you pick up? Ariana Grande's? Not anymore. I used to really fancy Ariana Grande. I kind of don't anymore. I find her a bit annoying. Um, who else would you pick up? Bradley Cooper's. Oh, Brad Pitt's. Of pick up Bradley Cooper's. Bradley Cooper, I mean... No, the only thing that I would think about Bradley on, Cooper... I was thinking, if I got... like. By the way, I thanked my wife again yesterday uh, for taking a photograph of the back of my head. You asked I'm, me to I'm take that picture. Because I'm legitimately fucking bald. And... <laughs> Given the fact that I can't see the back of my head, I'm never <laughs> able to know the status of it. Like, I'm going to wear... Like, I'm either going to turn to Judaism and get a skull cap and wear it all the time, or I'm going to wear a cap all of the time. Listen, I would just like to point out that I didn't just go and take a picture of the back of his head. He asked me downstairs. He was like, take the picture of the back of my and, head. And she looked at me and she goes, you're not going to like this. That's what I said, because I knew he wouldn't like it. Then just use, go to Blackwell Clinic. If we didn't have this big glitzy event in New York coming up, I would have had a hair transplant today. <laughs> okay, we've got something for you, right? Spenny for your thoughts is oh, back. Yeah. Spenny for your thoughts, yeah. We like it. Back by popular demand, I see. Back by not really popular demand. Well, um, by the way, do you know that whenever I go running in Hyde Park, and sorry, whenever I go running in Battersea Park, um, we get stopped, right? Every single time we go running now. Somebody yeah. saying that they love this pod. Yeah? Happens every day. Mm, which, sometimes they're talking about mine and Joanne's, but yeah. They're not. Why okay. would they stop me to tell okay. me that they like your pod with Joanne? Okay. Okay. I'm glad we've cleared that up. Um, 
bit try hard. Where this is real. Where are you going? Where am I going with it? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, a lot of those people say, make sure to bring back as many of your thoughts because I miss it. <laughs> That's such a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I didn't know where you were going with that. Right. Yeah. I'm giving you a headline from this week and you have to tell me what are your thoughts on it. Okay. A woman is stunned when a job candidate replies to a rejection letter with fuck you. A mere 15 minutes after they reje- were rejected for their position of head chef at Swanky London Pub and hotel chain Cubit House, the hopeful candidate responded with a sweary reply. The candidate who received a rejection letter to a head she- chef position replied, what the fuck you? Wow. Yeah, I mean, when you're applying for a job, you can't firstly like assume you're going to get the job. And if you're rejected, of course you can't take it personally. No, like you can't take it personally. That Well, he, I mean... Chefs have a tendency to lash out, don't they? Yeah. I'm well, only kind of basing that on, on Gordon Ramsay, really. Well, no, head chefs are egotistical. Like that is, that's a no. I love that movie, Chef. I love that as well, yeah. Well, he's egotistical. They all are. Yeah, true. Okay, a woman complains about her boyfriend scoring her cooking at the end of each meal. Right. Spenny does this thing, right? I have to eat as soon as I open my eyes because my body is absolutely starving. And I asked John Belton... It's actually not. I asked John Belton, was that a weird thing? And he goes, no, it means that you're actually really healthy. So the fact that I wake up famished and ready for food straight away is a good thing. But anyways, he comes in and he looks at me with my eggs with utter disgust no, it, it, that no, I'm eating is, at half six in this, the morning. This is you and you your do it every time. No, I, I'm usually jealous of the meal that you're eating. I don't get that hunger. Well, when you left for the radio and I got up really early the other day, I ate the wonderful breakfast that you made me the night before, by the way. Thank you so much, my darling wife. I love you so much. Um, <laughs> It, there, was, there was a lovely bowl of overnight oats prepared for me by Vogue the night before. I do like an overnight oats. And oat. I thought, oh, that's so nice. So I ate that. What did you put in it? Please tell me you put fruit in it. Yeah, of course. God, what do you take me for? Okay, I just wanted I put, to take I put, I put strawberries, banana and raspberries in it with a dollop of peanut butter and a bit more um, uh, I agave. I agaveed it up and I peanuted it up for oh, you. I know, but I put more. You know what I like to do with my food. I'm like, a, I'm like an artist. Okay, right. Well, this girl she said she's exhausted and has gone online this week complaining about her boyfriend who rates each meal after she she cooks after he's eaten it yeah wow well, I, she, I kind of wouldn't a winnie her, that was fucking bizarre i thought it was a ghost <laughs> um has uh licking his balls god in Winnie. the back of my shot as well Winston. <laughs> um has um has anyone <laughs> Well, has, has she can tell it? Has she? Has she, presumably she has thought about asking her boyfriend to stop doing it. I'd kind of like that. If you said anything below oh, an eight, you'd be gone. Well, exactly. Uh, it kind of puts spending my cooking's quite good. It would put you in the awkward position of having to lie. It's like that. It's like well, because sometimes remember the musaka. Oh, you melted a whole, you melted a whole plastic plastic, plastic okay, box okay. into the musaka. Right. And that's not what happened. <laughs> I blended it in by accident. You blended and in a plastic sorry, box. Sorry, remember that? Remember when Kiran was over here and you made that lamb? That lamb was shit. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Everybody though. said the lamb was shit. That's all of us. And we all nonsense. had to cook it again. You're such a liar. You can't even take criticism. You're such we a liar. I can't take criticism. I can't take risks. You made a balls of it. No, I didn't. That lamb I'm died in such, vain. Such nonsense. Okay, well, guess what? The slightly undercooked lamb, shove which the went lamb back up in the oven. Bum. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? You couldn't shove the lamb up your bum. You could shove the plastic box that you <laughs> destroyed and melted through the food. I'm amazed nobody died. Why the hell was I making moussaka? I hate aubergine. Yeah, delicious. Revolting. Aubergine anyway, is the most pathetic so it's, it's kind vegetable. Of, it's, kind, it's not pathetic. 
pathetic It's vegetable. disgusting. The texture, the colour, everything. You revolting. are not skilled enough to elevate it. You're Oh, because oh, I've seen you cook loads of aubergine in your time. <laughs> it's delicious. You've never touched a bloody aubergine. Uh, yes, I have, actually. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. I'm surprised. You, you... Aubergine, little aubergine ribbons. Yeah. Shut little up. Aubergine You're talking ribbons. about something you ordered in with a restaurant. With some mozzarella and lovely cherry tomatoes, bit of salt, pepper, olive oil. Yeah, yeah, baby. Um, anyway, next story of the week, right? You ready? Yeah. And I'm not looking at my phone, as I said again. Joanne has my laptop. Mm. Uh, a study suggests a Scottish accent is the sexiest accent in the UK. No. According to 2,000 people. Alright, man! According to... Fits the study! According to 2,000 people? Yeah. Okay. What, well, of the 60 21% million? 21% of voters chose the Scottish. I do like a Scottish accent. 20... What? So I it's would not even never a majority fancy, then. I would never fancy a Scottish accent. 20, 21% is less than 25. There are four components to Great Britain, so that's not a majority. Maybe they're trying to include Ireland. I know, because Ireland would win, I'd say. No, oh, of course it would. No, it wouldn't. The Scottish, I couldn't fancy a Scottish accent because my stepdad's Scottish. So it's just Scotland! Because, I watched um, of Scotland. I absolutely, I absolutely love um, Braveheart. I love a Scots person. I love Braveheart. Scotsman. No, 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 no. No. I love haggis. I love everything about Scotland. I love Rona, who's also from Scotland. Rona's nice, yeah. Rona's the best. Yeah. And her dog, Patrick. God, I love Patrick. Patrick's all right, yeah. Will we do our picks of the week? A what? Pick of the week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So our pick... Oh, oh yeah. So, so here's the story that I wanted to tell you right at the very beginning. If, if anyone's actually bothered to clamber through this episode, <laughs> uh, at, the, at the beginning of the episode, I was talking about... So I really wanted to introduce Vogue to something awesome. And Vogue, believe it or not, has never watched 24. Ever. Not a single episode. It's literally from fucking the dinosaur era. Well, no, it isn't. Obviously. Um, so, so Vogue has never seen an episode of 24. So we watched an episode and a half and she was falling asleep and she said to me, can we, can you stop watching this? Cause actually I'm really enjoying it. And I was like, oh, amazing. I've got a hooked into 24. That's nine whole series of 24 episodes that we can watch together as a loving, as a loving couple in the evenings. Vogue, no interest the following day. So we start, we literally throw on like the second half of ep two. And five minutes into it, she goes, I don't really want to watch this. You were a bit like a dictator. Like, I wasn't allowed to do anything. I was trying to post an ad, which I would do when I'm watching TV. And I was trying to just, like, generally be online a little bit because, like, the kids had just gone to bed. We'd had them all day. I hadn't been able to look at my phone at all. And, like, if I so much as, like, looked away for a second. Even at the end of ep one, she's like, oh, so, like, is every episode a day? It's like, no. Every episode is an hour. Stop doing that. What do you want me to do? Just like snort it out, like 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 project it out. To, oh, just snort on the ground. Yes. Okay, I'll snort all over my floor. That would be a nice thing to do. Our floor. Listen, I liked Twenty Four, oh, but I don't want floor. to feel pressurized into watching it, and it does look like something from nineteen eighty-five. It's very very well made, and you have to just watch it because if you don't, you will miss it. You'll miss a little glare. You'll miss a little look from someone, and all of a sudden, people change teams in it all the time. So there's like. There's, a, there's baddies in the goodies. Okay. Well, so you need to try and figure so it out. It's like a murder mystery. Don't be so pushy. It's like murder mystery. 
Right, well, we go on to tearjerker. Yeah, I go on then. Okay. A tear, tearjerker, by the way, for the listeners, if you haven't listened to all the previous series that we've made, is where we take categories. Every week it's different, and we rank them according to tiers. There's God tier, top tier, mid tier, or shit tier. And I will have you know that we're very accurate with our depictions. And this week... And this week it's... Halloween costumes. Halloween costumes. This is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Okay, a ghost with a sheet in your head. Crap. I mean, top, yeah, low. L- l- toss, I meant. Shit, to- shit. Shit, shit tier. Zombie, I feel like lazy. Bit so. boring, yeah. No, no, shit, shit tier as well, yeah. Slutty bunny. I mean, am I allowed to... Sp- poor Spenny, he'd love if I dressed up as a slutty bunny. Can you come like, as a... I sl- want to dress come, up. I've got an idea. Come as a... Dead slutty bunny. No, I I like I want to be like the penguin from Batman. No, like that's my vibe. Or no. Voldemort. Why I don't, don't want come, to be a slutty bu- bunny. Why don't you come as a slut? Like the slutty bunny bit's not important. But why don't you come as a slutty bunny with like an arrow through your head? No, slutty bunny is also shit. <laughs> the Hulk. I'm gonna go ahead and put slutty bunny in top tier. The Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk. What a load of crap. Who came up with it? A witch. I'm putting a witch, right? I'm putting a witch in God because I'm being a witch on Friday and I won't be slagged about it. A Greek person. A Greek, that was my idea. A Greek person, someone who just goes out in a toga. Wait, a Greek person? Yeah. For Halloween? They go out in a toga. They just wear clothes like us. No, they go out in a toga. No, they don't. That's the the Romans. When last time you were in Greece, they only wear togas over there. What? I was in Greece with you. I I was at the Acropolis. The Acropolis. At the Acropolis. (laughs) And all they were wearing was togas. The Acropolis. That is just garbage. Top a Greek tier. person. Put it's not even, Greek. it doesn't even say a toga. It just says a Greek person. <laughs> Squid game character. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, no, top. So, so no, because everyone's going to be No, that. but I've ordered a Squid game costume. Oh, God, you're such a, you are the epitome of basic. Yeah. Like, you're going as you, a fucking witch. I don't care. At least you're I'm not literally going, going as a witch. There's going to be less witches on the street because everyone else is going to be a Squid game character. I'm a, a, a cat. A, a cat. A cat, no. A, a t- cat. Mid, mid. M- a cat is obviously shit tier. A cat on Halloween. Hi, mate, what have you come as? A cat. The devil. It's like I a child's up. birthday I dressed party. up as the devil one year. The devil. The devil. A superhero. <laughs> mid. A superhero, mid. Here is couples cards. If you were cast as a leading... Man or lady of yeah. a movie, yeah. who would play your love interest? Bradley Cooper. You would. See? Oh, thanks. Oh, that's the right answer. Oh. oh, people who can act. Right. Okay. Um, uh, who would play my love interest? You have Bradley Cooper. I'll have Bradley Cooper. Okay, perfect. Um, who's that girl Who's that girl um, from Serendipity? I don't know. Meg Ryan? Not fucking Meg Ryan. Gwyneth Paltrow. No, God. I don't know. So, oh, She's Kate English. Beckinsale. Yeah, Kate Beckinsale can play my love interest. Okay, if you've great. Got Bradley Cooper. Done. Perfect. I'll probably have a few love interests though. Um, what? Where's food? Stormzy? Stormzy, you get Stormzy. I don't fancy Stormzy. When did I ever say I fancied Stormzy? I'm quite certain you said d- it. A few have times. I ever said I fancied Stormzy? I never what said about I fancied Bugsy Stormzy. Malone. Don't fancy Bugsy Malone. I love what his music. What are you talking about? Bugsy Malone. No, I, I yeah, fancy. Bugsy mate. Come um, in here, mate. What food will you absolutely not, under any circumstances, eat? Foie oh. gras. I don't like it. It's mean, and it tastes like 
rotten. It's absolutely delicious. I'd rather a, a piggy liver <laughs> pate. Piggy. What would you not eat? I, I eat most things. Yeah, but what would you not eat? I don't like it when anchovies are hairy. Oh, yeah, he's hairy. So I don't mind, like, you know, those nice, um, like, Mediterranean, like, thin pizzas with the capers and the anchovies. Yeah. Like, I don't mind that. But, like, anchovies can be a bit overpowering when they're, like, big and hairy. That's absolutely And they kind of look like filthy. caterpillars. Like, if they're little... And the, and the hair is, is kind of microscopic hair. Like, that's all right. But the big, the big like fluffy anchovies are a bit much, I think. I don't think I'd like an anchovy at all. I'm not a cat. No. Uh, how do our parenting <laughs> styles differ? They don't anymore. Do you reckon? Yeah. So marriage is, you know, about compromise, isn't it? And basically, Vogue hasn't had to compromise because she's so good at it. <laughs> I have had to change my entire life. To become the father I am today. And I'm very proud of it. So there. We have the same parenting skills. Yesterday I even emptied the bins without being asked. Yeah. He emptied the bins without being done, asked. Done, he the, the, done dishwasher. the dishwasher loads. I had to clean all the surfaces. Cleaned up after himself. I've, I've done. Like, I've, I've, I've told you. The desert has changed me. I've had a cathartic experience. I've come back fresh and new and I understand that I did not pull my weight before and now I'm here and I'm present and I'm gonna be perfect forever <laughs> and this is me now this is the new me simple aviva this live is it forever. this is it you will never ever have to worry about the bin piling over or the dishwasher being full or the children not being taken to school I am here you are my priority. Ah, uh, you don't take the kids to nurseries. T I would picked up tea the other day. Did you? Did he yes, love I it? Yes, I did, and he loved it. He went, Dada! Oh. And he jumped into my arms, and then I realised I'd forgotten the pram, so we, so, we, <laughs> so, so we walked back. No, he's not meant to take the pram. Ah. He's, so he's, he, he can scoot, or he no, can he did, walk. No scooter. We walked the whole way back. Um... He loves when I take him. I got a bike seat in the back of my bike yeah. uh, solely just to take Theodore around to the park and stuff like that. And he absolutely loves it when I take him to nursery on the bike. Like he couldn't think of anything better. Mm. You just made me catch your yawn. Okay, who wears the trousers in our relationship? You. Not always. Uh, you can have them. No. Try I them on for size. I don't want them. You can have them. I don't want them. I'll wear them then. Uh, milk before. What do, you th- what do you think? What do you think would happen if I wore the trousers as soon as we finished this pod? Spencer, I'm not well. Okay, I don't care stop about asking. Any of that? God, what? relentless. Yeah, I'm look. not well. Come on, let's um, have a milk before delight. milk before a cereal or after cereal? Who puts it in before a cereal? What? 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 A weird question. It's bizarre. Milk I before actually, cereal. It's you know not what a cup I of do tea. as well. I have to put in my milk and I like to leave it for like 10 minutes. The cereal no, has no, to no, go no. soggy. No, so I used to like that when I was mm. a child. Uh, but now I definitely like the crunch. No, I like a soggy cereal. Delicious. I like you. Jeez, I wonder how I could get some, how can I get some cereal into the cinema? I want to have cereal for dinner, but I'll be in the cinema. I'm afraid that's just not going to be possible. What can I bring to the cinema for dinner? Just, just, it's an everyman cinema. They serve meals there. Delicious. Do they? Yeah, yeah, they bring food, like cooked food, to your seat. Wow. Do you believe in soulmates? Yes. Evidently. We should rename this podcast Spencer and Vogue Soulmates. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. If you could swap lives for a day with anyone, who would it be? Barack Obama. 
No. What's he doing? I'd probably go for like one of Jeff Bezos's like executives, but not the really high end executives. It would be like a kind of middle of the range, hungry exec that does loads and loads of amazing work just so I can get in their head to see how I could be a better exec. I would probably actually, I would be inside Jeff Bezos and then I would transfer myself a shitload of money right. and keep it. don't think that was really in tune with the there question. There I go stealing again. Yeah, you are a thief. I know, I can't stop it. It's my favourite. Okay, we've got a listener email, and I quite like the look of this one. Okay. It's from Ava. Yeah. Hey, both. Love the podcast so much. Thought Jamie was hilarious, but glad Spenny's back. Yeah. I loved his app and really enjoyed his delish game. So thought I'd give some quick fire questions of this or that. Okay. Tea or coffee? Tea. Coffee. Jamie or Joanne? Joanne. Mm. Well, Jamie. Uh, I kind of have to say Jamie. Starter or dessert? Starter. I didn't realise we were so different. Probably dessert. I'd always go starter. Short haul flight with two kids or long haul flight solo? Long haul solo. Long haul solo, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Are you joking? That would be like a holiday in itself. Yeah, like, like any flight solo is absolutely lovely. Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King? Well, Beauty Lion and King. the Beast is my fave. Uh, clean. Oh my God, I might have tickets to The Lion King this week, Thursday, if you're around. Fab. What, back to where it all began? No, I'm taking tea. Clean Co Gin or Clean Co Rum? I prefer the rum. That's not, the, the, the new gin is like game changing. Yeah, but I'm not a huge gin drinker. I'd prefer a rum. I like to feel tropical when the weather outside is cold. Gin. Rum. Be trapped in a room with 50 screaming children or 50 tarantulas? Screaming children. Yeah, I like children. Yeah, I know, but like. Although screaming. the tarantulas, like, if you wanted to be horrible and kill them all, it would only take like a minute. I think, so then you'd I be think left. they can jump on you and kill you. No, they can't. Uh, not, and last but not least, not me. tearjerker or couples cards? Couples cards. Yeah. I love couples cards. Couples cards. Who's that from? That's from Ava. Ava, you can join in every week if you want. Ava, if, if, you want just, if you want, Ava, just get in touch with Pete and you can do our topics for us. Yeah. Ava, that was a really good email. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ava. Well, that's it. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, just email us, spencerandvoguepod at gmail.com. And please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and drop us more than five stars. Five stars. Well, can't. Yeah, yeah. So five stars. Five stars would be nice. Hey, thanks a lot. Bye, guys. Can't hope for too much more. Lots of love and see you next week. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.
Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.